good to have a lot of you back in person this weekend. We are back to our normal Rev Kids environments, and we're very, very grateful for all of our team members and staff that made that happen. It's such a weird season, obviously, that we're in, and we have to try to navigate that, as I've told our staff and our teams, that we got to kind of go with what's for now. And so this is for now. And so we're going to try to continue to get back to whatever normal is. Who knows what normal is, all right? But we are grateful to gather together as the church, and not only as adults, but kids and, and students. And that's one of the reasons why we've been doing this series for the last several weeks now. Now we're in week seven called Welcome to the Wrestle, because this year has been a wrestle. And we've been looking at the story of Jacob and how God wrestled with Jacob and how God initiated the wrestle with Jacob because he wanted to change Jacob. And that's really been our contention for this year is that we want to be changed coming out of this, right? Because it's one thing to go through a crisis, but if then that crisis doesn't produce any change in us, then it was actually all for naught. And so as we've been walking through this story of Jacob, we've been trying to say, and we've been doing it with our best WWE voice, trying to welcome the wrestle, right? Trying to, and I'm not gonna do it this week. We might do it last week one last time just for good old time's sake, all right? But we want to make sure that all of us are welcoming this wrestle in our life. And so if you got a Bible, we're going to be still in Genesis. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis chapter 29 and then uh, getting into the story of the wrestle in Genesis chapter 32. We're going to dig into it this week and next week because it's so good. You got to do it twice. All right. And so we're going to spend part of our time, or the last part of our time in Genesis chapter 32. And then we'll dig more time into it next week as well. But as always, let's pray before we jump into the text, and then we will get started. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. We want to always pause and recognize the fact that you are God, you are in control. And God, that is hard for us. It is hard for us to actually live that out where we not only believe that you are in control, but we let you take control. And that's really what this whole year is about. That's what this story that we're reading is about about how you want to take control. And, and it's so easy for us to try to manipulate things, to try to be like Jacob and make things go the way that we want them to go, God. But if we can just allow you, God, if we can just allow you to not only take control, but for you to direct our lives, for you to, to give grace as we move through each and every day, God, then we would be not only better people, God, but we would be the type of people that are deeply changed and transformed. So that's what we want. As we continue to read this story today, God, as I preach it, I pray that you would help me and then you would help us all to listen and then to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we've been doing for the last several weeks is looking into Jacob's history. We started the series looking at the very first part of chapter 32, kind of introducing that the wrestle was coming. Then we've gone back and looked at Jacob's history to help us better understand why God had to wrestle him because of his dysfunctional family and the wells that he drank from and then now the wells that he was digging. And so we're going to look in chapter 29. <laughs> Again, this story, this story is so weird. Like this is one of those stories as you're reading it, you have to flip to the front again and be like, I'm in the Bible, correct? Like this is just one of those odd stories and you're going to see in chapter 29 how it even gets more odd. All right. So let's jump in chapter 29, verse 18. And we ended last week with Jacob leaving away from his family and then going to his mother's side of the family. And then he met Rachel and now he falls in love. Look at this. Verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you to Laban, her dad, 
seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. So stay with me. Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Now listen to this. They seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now, ladies, I know you're like, oh, isn't that so sweet? Isn't that so romantic? And I'm not saying it's not, but, but here's what I just like to, and I pointed this out last week. Homeboy just met Rachel. He just met her. And he's already there. Like, he's already emotionally there. It might be a sign of some dysfunction when he can get there that emotionally quickly. He's running from something in his past, which, again, we've talked about. And now he's running to something. The reason why he's, let me say it to you like this. The reason why he's running to something so hard is because he's running from something so hard. He's running from all his dysfunction. And so he jumps in, like, I mean, head into this circumstance and situation. And he is the one who very interestingly says to her dad, hey, I'll serve you seven years. Now, again, culturally, it's a little bit different today than it was back then. And back then, which this is still true in a lot of countries today. In fact, every time we go to Africa uh, and just the family structure there is very similar to this, to where when a man wants to marry a woman, not only does he have to get permission from the woman's father, but he has to pay. And, and you know, as a father of a, of a daughter, I kind of like this idea, all right? Not that I'm just looking to get paid, but it's one of those things that's like, it, it shows that the father of the bride, right, has some authority in the circumstance. And so Jacob offers, he says, hey, I'll serve you for seven years. Now that's crazy. I mean, seven years that he is willing to serve for her. Now, again, I know it feels romantic, and in those seven years, we're like nothing to him because he loved her, right? That old, we love, I mean, we could be like, this is a Hallmark movie right here, right? This whole idea. But what I want you to see is Jacob, not only is he running so hard away from something, he's running so hard into something, but Jacob is also very self-confident. He's very self-confident in that not only is he willing to serve seven years, but he comes up with the idea to serve seven years, and then he serves them as though they're nothing to him. And the reason why I point that out, because it's so central to the story that Jacob, remember, his name is Deceiver. He's so deceptive. He's so manipulative that in his strength, he winds up deceiving himself. He winds up manipulating the circumstances based upon what he's banking to get him through, which is his strength. And that's what I really want us to focus on this week. And here's why. Because our strengths can become our greatest weaknesses. See, when we think about character development or we think about transformation, and I've been talking the last several weeks, when we talk about discipleship, what that looks like, spiritual formation, what that looks like. The, the common thought process is meant, you know, I got these strengths, I got these weaknesses, I need to shore up my weaknesses so that I'm a well-balanced person. All the while, missing the fact that the things that you're strong at might actually be your greatest weaknesses. Might actually be, as we would call it, your Achilles heel, 
Your strengths might actually be the very thing that takes you out. Here's why. Because we become so self-reliant on our strengths. We become so self-reliant on our ability to get through a circumstance, to get through a situation, to make it through. Like Every day we wake up and we're like, you know, yeah, we're in a crisis, but I got this. Or yeah, I'm in a bad situation or a crazy situation. I got this. And the mantra, and this is perpetuated in Christian circles a lot, is I don't need anybody else. I'm good. And so I'm just setting you up for the story for you to see that the thing that really, the thing that really threatened Jacob was his ability to survive, his ability to make it through, his ability to work things out. He's so willing, he's so blinded by his love that he's willing to put in seven years of work. Now, again, is working bad? No. Seven years of work bad? No. And that's not the point. But what I'm saying here is this. Oh, how quickly Jacob goes to his strengths. And here's why this is so important. In a crisis, we all do the same. Oh, how quickly we go to our strengths. Oh, how quickly we can fire up the things in our lives that got us through the last crisis. This is why when you go through grief, again, I'm not saying this is just a male thing, but men have perfected the art of this. When you go through grief, you're like, no, I got this. You might be sad for a day or two. You'll attend a funeral, right? You'll kind of deal with it. But what do we do? We fire right back up and we get to work, baby. And so that strength, that, that power, that the internal drive is the thing that will help us survive. But here's been my whole contention in this series. What if God doesn't want us to survive? He wants us to surrender. And so our greatest threat in this craziness of 2020 is trying to power up and get through it in our own strength. Look at what happens to Jacob next. So Laban gathered together all the people of the palace and made a feast. But in the evening, this is what I told you, this is a messed up story. He took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. Verse 25. And in the morning, I almost titled my sermon, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you? Uh, serve with you for Rachel. Why then have you deceived me? Again, this is what I want you to see. Homeboy serves seven years for Rachel. And then he gets to the point of the wedding night and his new father-in-law tricks him and brings in her older sister and Jacob doesn't even notice. He doesn't, this is why I said you were like, before you were like a love story, ladies, like, Homeboy is so blind in love, he doesn't even realize it's not Rachel. This is why we're like, oh, he loves me. He loves me. He treats me like a queen. Well, maybe he doesn't love you. Maybe he just loves the idea of loving you. Maybe he just, he's an emotional wreck and he's running from something. He's running to you and he's just using you to get what he really wants. I mean, how, how crazy does it have to be? I mean, just imagine all those days in seven years, he's dreaming about marrying 
Rachel, that he misses it. He misses that it's Leah. Now, I'm going to probably go out on a limb and say that this circumstance probably hasn't happened to any of you. At least I hope so. But I want to draw the principle of something. How many times have you seen something in the evening one way only to wake up in the morning to realize it was something different? How many times have you gone to bed with one thing and woken up with another thing? And again, I'm not talking here necessarily about marriage. I'm just talking about in your strength. This is why strengths can become a weakness. You're so dead set on something that it blinds you. It blinds you. It blinds you to any failures. It blinds you to any you know, things or people that are telling you, hey, man, man, this is not a good decision. How many times have we, in our strengths, gone down a road and we're sure, this, and we spiritualize it, man. Oh, God told me so. And then we wake up the next morning and it ain't God. Well, did God lie to you or did you mishear it? Or were you banking it on what you want and we're just banking on God to bless it? This is why you got to be very careful. I, in my 10 years, I don't know if I have said this. If I have, I have to be very careful and I will couch it. But this is why I don't say a lot of times, again, I try to never say God told me this. I told our staff at the beginning of this pandemic, which it wasn't really a reassuring to them. I said, listen, you know about any decision I ever make, I'm about 51% sure. And they were like, oh, thanks, Pastor. That's real reassuring in a pandemic. I'm like, well, I don't know. And, and, and you could say like, well, that's not any confidence in a leader. Or you could say, as a leader, I have just learned to be humble. As a, as a leader, I've just learned that in the evening, I think it's one thing. And in the morning, it's a different thing. And here's where I'm getting. Jacob is so confident in his ability to manipulate that he himself winds up manipulated. He himself winds up deceived. And here's the irony of all ironies. He gets mad. Why then have you deceived me? Now, listen, I don't believe in karma. And those people that like cheerfully believe in karma, I'm like, <laughs> you only cheerfully believe in karma when it goes bad for somebody else, not you. Like nobody likes karma. Who wants to live in that world? Thank God we don't have karma because if I only got what I deserved, I would never get anything good. Thank God for grace. That's why I don't believe in karma. But what I do believe in is God will take our strengths to manipulate and deceive and let us think we're winning and then use those very things against us to realize we're actually losing. Jacob winds up deceived just like he was deceiving. And this is why I find it ironic. He is now mad at people doing to him the exact same thing that he did to others. That's the irony. That's the irony of it. 
And this is why God has to wrestle Jacob. God, at this point in time, when Jacob is deceived, you know what he should do? I mean, we didn't, they didn't have cell phones back then, but if they did have, he, he should have texted Esau and like, bro, I didn't know this is how you felt. Right then at that point in time when he was deceived, he should have packed up and went home and told his dad and told his brother, I'm sorry for deceiving you. I now know what it feels like. But he doesn't. What does he do? Look at verse 26. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. You know what Laban figured out? When Jacob shows up, sees Rachel, falls all over her, says, I'll work for her for seven years. You know what Laban thinks? Oh, if you'll work for her for seven, you'll work for 14. I got you. If you're in for seven and you just met her, because she's fine. Again, I don't know if you read the Bible like this, but you should. I mean, Jacob makes a life-altering decision based upon someone's physical appearance. How many times have we done that? Oh, she, she, Leah, weak on the eyes, the Bible says. The Bible's funny about how it explains things. <laughs> Leah, weak on the eyes. Rachel, woo. He didn't do any investigating. He didn't go to church with them. He didn't see if, it, oh, I mean, this, is, this ain't even a message on marriage. And I'm, I automatically go there because I deal with so much dysfunction with y'all. But Laban tricks him because he sees that Jacob's emotional wreck. He said, man, if you'll serve for seven, I got you for 14. So he tricks him. Look at verse 28. Jacob did so. Jacob did so and completed her week, the marriage week. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. You see how Jacob has just simply repeated the same dysfunction he ran from? Interesting. Not only is he deceived, but he now creates a family where one person is loved more than the other. Hmm. Where did he learn that? Home. Because his mama loved him more than she loved Esau. Jacob loved Esau more than he loved him. So Jacob just goes out and multiplies the same soil he was grown in. This is why I told you a few weeks ago, you and I, we better do the hard work of spiritual transformation so that we don't reproduce the very situations we came from. Because you can teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. I can tell my kids, don't do what I do, do what I say. And what will they do? What I do. Because they hear what I say, but they watch how I live. Let me say it to you like this. If your kids just woke up every day and did what you do, would they grow into godly people? If they just woke up every day and did what you do, would they grow into godly people? This is why, again, it, and I'm so grateful now we are, you know, more people are gathering together and, and I get it, it's a pandemic, but even pre-pandemic, you know how often people didn't gather together in the church? Not that it's about a building, it's about the people, it's about the community. 
And so those are patterns that we build into our kids' lives where we show them being with the people of God, listening to the preached word of God is optional. And in my case, as a pastor, I don't want my kids to grow up and only see me handle the Bible on Sundays. I want them to see me have my Bible during the week as well. Because I don't want them to grow up and repeat dysfunctions in my life. But here's the whole way I'm going, and then we'll, then we'll fast forward to chapter 32. Again, Jacob is so confident in himself that not only was he confident that he could work for seven, he's confident that he can double that and work for 14. So here's what I'm trying to get you to see. If you and I constantly live out of our self strength, our self-independence, we're only doubling our trouble. We're only doubling it. Because according to Romans 1, God will let you try to work it out on your own. Just like as parents, we're like, hey, don't touch that stove. It's hot. Don't touch that stove. It's hot. And then your kid touches the stove and you're like, I told you, don't touch the stove. It's hot. But we have to learn for ourselves. Because there's only two ways to get wisdom. Fall on your face or learn from those who have already fallen on their face. But so often we won't want to learn from those who have fallen on their face. So we have to fall on our face ourselves. So Jacob, in his strength, fires up and works another seven years. And here's what's crazy. And almost as a way, and the Bible doesn't say this, but it's kind of how I think about it. Almost as a way to kind of get back. He's like, well, I ain't loving Leah. I'm going to love Rachel. What about Leah in this circumstance? Hey. See the dysfunction? Now, chapter 32. God has to wrestle Jacob. So we've already done the first part of chapter 32. Now we're going to jump into the actual wrestle, verse 22 of chapter 32. So up until this point, again, just in case you weren't here, God has told Jacob, go back to your family. You've been gone long enough, 14 years. Go back, deal with this. He's afraid. He's scared. So he devises. He breaks up into two. He, you know, one camp, this camp, and then he's left there. And now we're in that place. It says the same night, verse 22, he, Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabuk, that's the river. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, in verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. Jacob was left alone. Just a side note here. You and I can do whatever we want to try to feel, fill the hole in us with whatever we want. But that will never replace the fact that at some point in time in the future, we will find ourselves alone. And having to deal with ourselves. This is why I say every week, the problem is you and you take you with you everywhere you go. You can run from it, but no matter what the circumstances are, you know what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself alone. Now, here's where God is gracious. God is so gracious that when he finds you alone, he will come and meet with you. Look at what happens. The rest of verse 24. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint and he wrestled with him. So I didn't title the message and in the morning, I decided to title it until the breaking of the day. And here's why. Jacob's alone and a man shows up. Again, I personally think this is pre-incarnate Jesus because later on, we'll get into this next week, Jacob says he wrestled with God. Well, God, man, is Jesus. So I think this is a pre-incarnate Jesus. Again, different people disagree. Some think angels, some think, you know, spiritual being. Personally, I think this is Jesus. And so Jesus shows up and he wrestles with Jacob. He wrestles with him. Now, just imagine Jacob's state of mind at this point in time. He grew up in a dysfunctional family. He tricked his father. He tricked his brother. He ran from his family, hasn't seen them in 14 years, goes off, finds the love of his life, works for her to, for seven years, only to be tricked himself to not get her to try to now have to work for another seven years. Do you think the boy's exhausted yet? Running from his family and now 14 years of a dysfunctional family, two wives and 11 kids. 11. You think he's tired? And now God tells him to go back and he has to face Esau and his greatest fears are coming true because his whole past is now catching up with him and he finds himself by himself. And if that weren't bad enough, in the middle of a night, a man shows up and starts wrestling with him. Can you just imagine what's going through Jacob's mind? I mean, he's thinking, I mean, if he's thinking what I'm thinking, who the heck is this man wrestling with me? Why is he wrestling with me? Where's my family? What's going? I mean, just imagine the enormous amount of stress and anxiety he's dealing with at this moment. But this is why I was pointing out to you before, Jacob's greatest weakness was his strength. So he has all that going on. And now he's at his breaking point. And he fights this guy so hard that they wrestle all night until the breaking of the day. That's, so that's sunrise. I don't know if you've wrestled very much. I used, my, my offensive line coach in high school used to make us wrestle all the time because offensive linemen, you got to have these skills and know how to you know, be in the trenches and and so we had a big wrestling match and he would always make us go in there and wrestle. And, and I was one of the biggest dudes and, and big dudes I could manhandle, you know, I could, you know, we could lock together. I could win. It was always the small scrappy ones. I hated wrestling because they just had all the energy. Our running back Byron, we, him and I went toe to toe for like 10 minutes. I was twice his size, but he was twice my speed. Right. And so we wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And finally we were like, all right, we both give up. So nobody won. And I was exhausted. And that was for like 10 minutes of wrestling. All night until the breaking of the day. I can't imagine how exhausted this dude is now physically on top of all the emotional and spiritual exhaustion. And here's what I want to point out to you. Why did Jesus show up and wrestle Jacob like that? 
Because Jesus had to exhaust Jacob. Jesus had to exhaust him. He had exhausted him to the point where Jacob was no longer convinced that in his flesh, he could just fire up and get through it. Jacob was so strong that he wrestles Jesus all night. And then you know what Jesus says? And think about this. I mean, this is Jesus. Jesus didn't have to wrestle him, but he does. And then Jesus gets to the point where, and again, the Bible doesn't tell us, but this is just what I think. Jesus is like, I'm tired of wrestling with you. And then touches his hip. Why do you think Jesus touched his hip? You can Google this later. Google the strongest part of your body. Want to know what it is? That's an easy answer. Come on. I set you up. Hip. Your hip bone, your hip joint with all the muscles, it is the strongest part of your body. It is the strongest part of you. It is the one that holds you up and holds you together. Why does Jesus touch Jacob's hip? Because he touched the area of his greatest strength. To prove a point that your greatest strength against Jesus is nothing. You want to know why? Because Jacob walked with the wrong kind of limp. What do I mean by that? I'll never forget being in high school, and I still laugh about it today. Um, but I grew up, you know, late or 80s, early 90s. And right when, you know, a lot of things were happening in culture at that time. And in high school, middle school and high school, you, you showed your coolness a lot in how you walked. Not only what you wore, but how you walked. Like if you were just walking to class and you were like, you ain't cool. Like if you just the speed mall walker, you ain't cool. But if you walk to class, you know, like I got five minutes, I'll get there. You know what I'm saying? Now teenagers in the house are watching. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm 42 years old. So don't, no cap, right? I'm not trying to be cool. But why did you do that? Well, it was, it was the idea of like, no, I don't have a bad hip. Literally, you can go look this up too. It's that I got so much money in my pocket, I have to limp. That's where that comes from. I don't know if you knew that. I'm so confident in myself. I got so much. So that's how, kind of how, I just imagine that's how Jacob walked. He's like, I, Rachel, what's up, girl? You know what I'm saying? And Jesus is like, listen, people who walk with me don't walk like that. People who walk with me don't walk like that. So Jesus touches his hip. He's like, Jacob, you got to walk with a different kind of limp, my brother. You got to walk with a kind of limp that doesn't highlight your physical prowess that doesn't highlight your physical strength, that doesn't highlight that you're a self-made man, but you got to walk with the limp that highlights your weakness. 
You got to walk with the limp like the type of person who's dependent, not independent. The reason why I titled this until the breaking of the day, because that word there, breaking, it's interesting. We now know, obviously, that the sun doesn't rise, even though we call it sunrise, that it's not actually moving, we are. But the breaking of the day is when it breaks the horizon, we can see it. But what's interesting, that word there, breaking, it means to rise. It also means to exalt. Because the idea of exalting is to lift up. So why does Jesus wrestle Jacob until the breaking of the day and then breaks his hip? Because Jacob's whole trajectory of his life was about the breaking of himself the exaltation of himself. Why did he wrestle him into the breaking of the day? Because Jacob's main goal was self-exaltation. And what does God do to people who exalt themselves? Jesus tells us, James tells us, James says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus says it like this, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So why does he wrestle with him until the breaking of the day? To break him. To break him. And he exhausts him. And then at the point of the breaking of the day, he breaks him. Why am I saying this to you? Here's why. Because I don't want you to misunderstand the love of God when he breaks you. I don't want you to misunderstand it. As A.W. Tozer said, those who God wants to use greatly, he wounds deeply. God breaks us. This is why in communion, we see not only what Christ did, how he was broken and poured out for us, And so we not only see that the cross was for us, but we see that the cross was because of us. He had to be broken because we broke it. And now when we come to Christ, we don't come to his saving grace until he breaks us and we understand that he had to be broken because we broke it. And so what I want you to see is the love of God in the story. Because your and my biggest problem, it was we're too dependent upon ourselves and not on God. And so it's in the breaking that God now makes us dependent upon him. You think Jacob will ever forget for the rest of his life as he walks differently the night that he lost See, here's what I want you to see. Sometimes God gets so tired of wrestling with us, he's like, I'm done with this. I want you to understand something. God don't play fair. And when I say he doesn't play fair, I'm not saying he's cheating. I'm not, I would never impugn God's character like that. But what I'm saying to you is this. God will stack the deck against you. He will bring circumstances and situations to bear on you to the point where you're like, I can't take it anymore. And God's like, finally. I've been trying to show you that for decades that you couldn't take it anymore, but your problem is you're too strong. 
I don't know if you've had this happen yet in your life, but if you have it, you will. I had this happen to me a few years ago where I was so self-confident in my ability, and I'm, I'm a Christian, in case you were wondering. But I, I was so self-confident, not, not, and, and I want you to hear me, this is what's crazy. Not even, I, would, I wouldn't even say in an arrogant way. But I was so self-confident that in my dysfunction, I just learned how to survive. And that's why I've been saying to you in this season, maybe God doesn't want you to learn how to survive. Maybe he wants you to learn how to surrender. To get to the point where you're like, God, I don't know what to do. This is why I've said my favorite verse now is the verse in Chronicles where the king says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, that is utter and complete dependence. Look at how Jacob responds, and we'll get into this next week. Verse 26, then he said, the man says, let me go for the day has broken. Not only is the day broken, but your hip is now broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We'll get into the blessing next week, but I want you to understand something. That the blessing is always preceded by the breaking. It's always preceded by the breaking. You want to know why? Because our will wants to win so bad that we don't even want to lose to God. Hear me when I say that, I'm gonna say it again. Our will wants to win so bad that we don't even like losing to God. This is why Jesus came and instituted the upside down kingdom when he said, if you wanna save your life, you'll lose it. But if you want to lose your life for my sake, you will find it. What is Jesus saying? Give up. Lose. And you'll win. But you keep trying to win, and you'll lose. But do you see how this flies in the face of the very air we breathe as Americans? Because we're told all the time, winners never quit. And quitters never win. Oh, really? I would say winners quit all the time. They just quit the right things. See, your and my problem may have been before this pandemic that we've gotten through all the other things. We got through this loss. We got through this death. We got through this firing. We got through this health crisis. We got through this divorce. We got through this thing. We got through this thing. We got through this thing. And everybody's like, how you doing? I'm holding it together. I'm surviving. I'm here. Maybe God's like, listen, I don't want you to hold it together. I want you to lose it all. When's the last time you just lost it? That's a good question. If you're in a group, that'd be a great question for this week. When's the last time you lost it? I'll never forget in 2017, when my whole world was crashing down, I was driving, I was driving down the road and a worship song comes on and I lost it. I, like I lost it to the point where I had to pull over. Like, ladies, you would call it ugly cry. But we ain't got makeup, so like, I guess, I mean, it was ugly. Like, lost it. 
But it was in that moment I found it. Let me give you this quote, and then we're done. From one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller. I think it's one of his best quotes. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So God has to exhaust all resources in our spirit. The problem is we are not poor in spirit. We are middle class in spirit. See, Jesus opened up his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You want to know our problem is we're not poor enough. We're middle class. We got just enough Jesus to get through and just enough of the world to keep it. (laughs) So what's the point of this season? God's showing you how poor you really are. Because the moment you and I can lose and admit our bankruptness before God is the moment he'll bless us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so gracious to us that you are willing to wrestle us. You are willing to get into the ring with us and exhaust us. And and God, the reason why we can welcome the wrestle is because we're wrestling with you. We're not wrestling with somebody who hates us or who is out to kill us. We are wrestling with somebody who loves us and who is out to heal us. And so, God, I pray that we would have, by your grace, the wisdom and wherewithal to admit I lose, that we would tap out. And I'm not talking about just being saved, although there are some here that need to do that and be saved. But even those of us who have trusted Christ, God, we can go right back to our flesh, right back to our self-independence, our reliance on our ability to manipulate and get through things. But help us in those moments to, again, admit our dependence upon you. Because if we are dependent upon you, you are glorified. And you are waiting to help us. It honors you to help us. That's why you said, blessed are the poor. So nobody looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted Christ, you've never come to that place in your life where you've admitted I'm so poor. I'm so bankrupt. I need Jesus. Then right now, today, you can admit that and be saved. You don't have to say this out loud, but you can pray with me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. That You sent Jesus to wrestle me. To save me, to take the punishment for me. So I lose my life to him. Would you forgive me and would you save me? I'm trusting in Christ alone. Now, as always, somebody looking around or talking, but if you just prayed and trusted Christ for the first time, we want to know about that. So if you're in one of our locations, you can just simply lift your hand up so we can see that. We have a gift we want to give you. Thank you. In a moment, everybody, if you're watching, you'll have an opportunity to text us and let us know. But then those of us who have trusted Christ understand that the gospel is such good news that he doesn't just save you, but he wants to walk with you. He puts his spirit in you. 
He wants to help you every day. And so every day we can wake up and admit we're powerless and receive his grace. And here's the good news. We can never exhaust him. We have to get to the point of complete exhaustion in our flesh to realize we can never exhaust the inexhaustible, which is God and his grace. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He is self-sufficient. We are not. But in his self-sufficiency, he will give us grace. So don't ever quit asking. And don't ever quit admitting your need. Father, would you help us to live dependent upon you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.